It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, December 19th. This is your KVMR Evening News. September's mill fire in Siskiyou County decimated the historically black neighborhood of Lincoln Heights in Weed. Tonight, the California Report returns to the scene of the blaze to discuss how climate change disproportionately affects communities of color. Then, after a decade of waiting, the third edition of the Lakota Dictionary has debuted. More ahead in National Native News. We'll take a look at your local news and weather before KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza speaks with Nevada County's Director of Housing and Child Support Services, Mike Dent, about Brunswick Commons, a 41-unit affordable rental community in Grass Valley. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. The Trump-era immigration policy known as Title 42 is scheduled to end this week. KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis spoke with a local activist in San Diego about the impact of this controversial program. Title 42 allows Border Patrol agents to turn away migrants, including asylum seekers, at the border. That means they don't get a chance to pursue an asylum case in immigration court. Advocates say that it essentially barred access to asylum for tens of thousands of people. Those advocates include Pedro Rios. He's glad to see the policy gone, but says... It's hard to qualify something as a victory when we've, um, as advocates, have been saying Title 42 has been harmful, has led to untold human rights violations of migrants. Rios says that in some ways, the long-lasting damage is already done. Human rights activists have documented more than 1,300 cases of migrants being killed, beaten, raped, or kidnapped after being turned away from the border via Title 42. And that's only since President Joe Biden took office in 2020. Rio says that Title 42, along with other Trump policies, have shifted the way we view asylum. How the collective mind considers asylum has been damaged. It's no longer seen as an obligation of nation states to uh, welcome people who are fleeing violence. Um, And now it's more of a burden um, and something to reject. In preparation for the anticipated influx of migrants, immigration officials have increased staffing levels along the southern border. For the California Report, I'm Gustavo Solis in San Diego. Survivors of September's mill fire, which devastated parts of Siskiyou County, are continuing to put the pieces of their lives back together. And now, as Jefferson Public Radio's Eric Newman reports, residents' access to state and federal assistance will determine whether this historically Black neighborhood will be able to stay together. On the day the mill fire started, Alonzo Green was at his home in Lincoln Heights. He heard a boom outside, so he went out on his porch where he says he smelled fire. kind of thought it was a structure fire, and I thought that I'd be able to help. Green grew up in weed. For years, he was the assistant pastor at a nearby church, and he recently retired as a firefighter. Immediately, he realized the situation was bad. All these houses were burning. This house up on the hill was totally um, involved right then. So a cousin of mine told him this is bad. You got to get out of here. Went from there to Miss Calvin's house, beat on her door, kicked it in. She was scared. Like, hey, got to get out. Your house is on fire. He crammed six residents in his truck to evacuate as the fire swept across the neighborhood in a matter of minutes. Most of Lincoln Heights was lost in the fire. Green says around 12 homes are still standing out of about 60. Two people were killed, including one of his cousins. 
Lincoln Heights is an anomaly, a predominantly black neighborhood in rural, far northern California. In the early 1920s, the lumber industry drew black residents from the south to weed to work at the mill. Denise Hopkins was also born and raised in Weed and is a resident of Lincoln Heights. She lost two houses in the fire. One was her own home and the other was a rental. When we finally got to get in there and see everything, you know, it was just devastating because we, you know, we lost, we've been in that house for 40 years. And so we lost all of our, you know, family heirlooms and all of our family's things. Many of the homes were passed down through Lincoln Heights families, which Green says makes the recovery process all the more urgent. They might not have even had paperwork. You know, they just uh, hand me down. They just keep staying there. And um, some of the people um, are not able to go anywhere. This was all they had. When the mill fire started in early September, a heat dome had driven up extreme temperatures in California. Such heat events are becoming more common because of climate change. There's a term for the way climate change disproportionately affects communities of color like Lincoln Heights and the poor. It's called the climate gap. Rachel morello Frosch is a professor at the UC Berkeley School of Public Health. Her research focuses on how vulnerable communities are impacted by climate change. Lincoln Heights is a good example in a rural community, she says. That community has managed to persist. And then this wildfire literally in a very short period of time has devastated it. And its ability to come back from that, I think, remains in question. Kim Green, not related to Alonzo Green, was the mayor of Weed during the fire. She says there was already a housing shortage in Weed beforehand, and residents' ability to rebuild will depend on whether they had insurance. There were a lot of people who weren't insured, and there were a lot of people who were underinsured. Because, you know, you got a house that was built in 1935, you can't replace it with the insurance you had on that house right now. Morello Frosch says similar losses happened after Hurricane Katrina. So it happened in New Orleans. It's a huge reason why uh, the demographics of New Orleans shifted significantly because a lot of black families who lost their homes could not afford to rebuild and come back because they were woefully underinsured and they didn't have flood insurance. Morello Frosch says if state and federal recovery efforts don't take these insurance inequities into account, the same demographic shift could happen in Lincoln Heights. Right now, the neighborhood is in the cleanup phase. The fire has not yet been approved as a federal disaster, so FEMA isn't helping with the recovery process. The state of California has covered housing for displaced residents at hotels or in trailers. Roseburg Forest Products, where the fire started, has donated an initial $50 million for residents. Alonzo Green says he's only heard of one resident of Lincoln Heights who's decided to move. Everyone else, he says, wants to rebuild. It's going to look totally different. Um, but it's still going to be Lincoln Heights. And, and so with that, um, yeah, I believe that we can make it as great as we want. There have been other wildfires around weed in recent years. Green says you never get used to wildfires, but the people here are resilient. For The California Report, I'm Eric Newman in Weed, California. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now is the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, 
whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, which bets early on exceptional people making the world better, on the web at SchmidtFutures.com. And that's the California Report for Monday, December 19th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. The third edition of the Lakota Dictionary debuts after a decades-long wait, and this latest edition contains 20,000 more entries than its predecessor. Then, a look at how tribes across Arizona are using indigenous knowledge to address climate issues. This and more coming up in National Native News. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Lakota Language Consortium is debuting the third edition of its new Lakota Dictionary. The third edition contains 20,000 more entries than its predecessor. South Dakota Public Broadcasting's Lee Strubinger reports. The previous Lakota Dictionary was published over a decade ago. Alex Firethunder is Oglala Lakota and the deputy director of the Lakota Language Consortium. He says Lakota is a living language and constantly evolves. We'll continue to develop new words for things that, you know, that we have in our life. There's a word for cell phone, there's a word for computer, there's a word for car. A lot of words that we consider old words were new words at one time, you know, a word for wagon. Clocks, like those are all, you know, pretty old words that were coined by our ancestors. The language of the Ocheti Shikoan is an oral language, meaning it was never written down until the 1800s. Fire Thunder says other words and phrases had been around for generations and are only now being documented. I found this word in uh, an old rabbit dance song that says Imachuka, and that's conjugated to the first person, so the, the third person would be Ichuka. It means to uh, have a taking or a liking for somebody, so, and that was in an old love song. Many children fluent in Lakota, Dakota, and Nakota were chided for speaking their language during the boarding school era. Most fluent speakers are now elders. Fire Thunder says he wants to see the dictionary get put to good use. My hope is that these words leave these pages. These words are here for everybody to access, but my hope is that they use them. Use them and speak them. Speak the life into them. The Lakota Language Consortium is also announcing new changes to its language app, which they hope will entice the younger generation to communicate with elders. For National Native News, I'm Lee Schrubinger in Rapid City. Tribes across Arizona are using indigenous knowledge and Western thought to address climate issues. Alex Gonzalez has more. From droughts now synonymous with the Southwest to flash floods, landscapes are changing. Keith Howard, a wildlife technician with the Navajo Nation's Climate Change Program, says building trust within the community is essential for the program's efforts to succeed. Finding a way to reach the people and communicate with them in respect to our traditional way of learning and our traditional ways of understanding how the world works is one of the biggest obstacles. Howard says language barriers make it difficult to translate some climate-related concepts into indigenous languages, which can be especially challenging for community elders. Despite the difficulties, Howard says progress is being made. According to an international assessment of climate change released last year, indigenous communities are among the most susceptible to the effects of a warming climate. Howard points out that most tribal communities depend on a healthy environment for survival. He adds lack of infrastructure on the Navajo Nation, compounded with the effects they're already seeing, have made it more difficult to adapt. One of our struggles is finding resources, funding 
opportunities to address some of these issues to help mitigate the effects of climate change. Howard says that includes money for restoration projects to replace native vegetation and keep streams flowing. In the meantime, he says the Navajo Nation does its best to address climate-related issues and help the community adapt to the rate of change. That was Alex Gonzalez reporting. New Mexico's Public Education Department has announced a new tutoring program that expands free tutoring for math, reading, and science. It focuses on pre-K to 8th grade for Title I schools and tribally controlled schools. It's being offered virtually before, after, and during school. Families can sign their children up for 20 hours of tutoring. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. You've probably seen those car ads, low price, low payments, but when you get to the dealer, there could be a catch. If a dealer isn't honest when it comes to its car ads, tell the Federal Trade Commission at reportfraud.ftc.gov. Support by the Federal Trade Commission. Make sure your holiday checklist includes avoiding the latest holiday scams. Scammers count on you being too busy and distracted to pay attention, so visit aarp.org slash holiday scams to get up-to-date tips on the latest scams. AARP supports this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Let's take a look at your local news. Grass Valley City Council member Hillary Hodge was taken into custody by the California Highway Patrol Friday evening for driving under the influence. In a statement published on her Facebook page and Ubinet, Hodge explains the series of circumstances that led to her arrest. Hodge says she was walking her dog in downtown Grass Valley Friday night when she saw a car on fire. As Hodge and neighbors rushed to help, the car became engulfed in flames. At this point, Hodge's dog became agitated got out of her collar and bolted. Hodge remained at the scene until the fire department arrived. By the time emergency responders arrived at the scene, Hodge's dog was nowhere to be found. She returned home but was still unable to locate the dog. It was at this time Hodge decided to take her car to look for the animal. She says she drove a quarter mile to where her dog was lost and parked. Although law enforcement didn't pull Hodge over while driving, they noticed her park and detected impairment while speaking to her. Officers issued a field sobriety test, which Hodge failed. Following booking, Hodge was released on her own recognizance and has a date to appear in court. In a developing story out of Placerville, homicide detectives are investigating and have arrested a woman after a man was found shot dead late Sunday night inside a Forest Hill home. According to the Placer County Sheriff's Office, deputies responded just before midnight to the 5,000 block of Polaris Way after reports of a shooting. Upon arrival, officers found a man dead inside the residence. Deputies at the scene arrested the 911 caller who first alerted police to the shooting. The caller, 69-year-old Sina Larimer, was booked early this morning into Placer County Jail in Auburn on a felony murder charge. According to the sheriff's office, she's cooperating with the investigation. The shooting victim's identity has not been released. This reported by the Sacramento Bee. The owners of the downtown Grass Valley Del Oro movie theater have announced the notable landmark is for sale. In a statement shared on Ubinet, Sierra Theater owners Mike and Barbara Goetz and Michael and Azriel Lamarca 
Say the real estate was listed for sale in mid-November. Sierra Theaters has been owned and operated by the family since 1979. They currently have two movie theaters in Grass Valley, the Del Oro Theater in downtown Grass Valley, and Sutton Cinemas in the Brunswick Basin. The statement says, quote, The last few years have been challenging for all of us, and movie theaters are still recovering. We have worked tirelessly to keep the movies going in Grass Valley over the last three years, and we intend to find a buyer who will continue to bring the movie-going experience to Nevada County at the Del Oro Theater. The statement says the Del Oro Theater will remain open through the holidays. According to the American Automobile Association, nearly 15 million California residents will pack their bags between December 23rd and January 2nd. This year is expected to be the busiest for travelers since 2019. Sacramento International Airport spokesman Scott Johnston says the busiest travel days for the winter holidays will be December 22nd to December 23rd and December 26th to December 27th. And if you're foregoing flying and planning on putting the pedal to the metal, you'll be in good company. 14% more people are expected to drive than last year. AAA says the best times to drive are before 2 p.m. and after 8 p.m. Traffic traditionally becomes its heaviest on the Friday before Christmas, that's December 23rd, and December 27th and December 28th. Turning our attention to your local weather forecast from the National Weather Service. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight widespread frost mainly after 7 p.m., otherwise clear with a low around 25 degrees. Tuesday, widespread frost before 10 a.m., otherwise sunny, with a high near 45 degrees. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, a 10% chance of snow after 4 a.m., mostly cloudy with a low around 21. Tuesday, a slight chance of snow before 7 a.m. The day starts out cloudy, then gradually becomes mostly sunny with a high near 38. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, patchy fog after 1 a.m., otherwise cloudy with a low around 39 degrees. Tuesday, patchy fog before 11 a.m., otherwise mostly sunny with a high near 55. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Brunswick Commons, the 41-unit affordable rental community in Grass Valley, perches atop Old Tunnel Road looking down on the Brunswick Basin. KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza reported on the development while still under construction. Coming up, Claudio revisits Brunswick Commons. Now residents are fully moved in. Brunswick Commons, Nevada County's newest affordable housing community, opened back in September in Grass Valley and is now fully occupied. The building provides residents with a computer learning center, an exercise room, a community room with a communal kitchen, and laundry facilities. I reached out to Mike Dent, Nevada County's Director of Housing and Child Support Services, for an update. So there's 40 units total that have tenants in them. It's a 41-unit complex. One unit is reserved for the on-site manager to live in. And then of the 40, 28 of them were occupied by referrals from Hospitality House. This was a a big deal for Hospitality House to be able to move some housing-ready folks out of their facility that, you know, sometimes you're in there six or eight months looking for a place to move move into. You know, you're, you're at the shelter basically looking for a place and saving money. And then the other 12 units are referrals from Behavioral Health and their contractor turning point. Um, so Behavioral Health, 
manages, I think every uh, up to about a thousand people a year are contacted and receive behavioral health services, and they have dozens and dozens of um, assisted units, is what they call it. So these twelve units in the that behavioral health refers through to are um, occupied by clients, active clients of behavioral health. Although the majority of the building houses single people, a number of families were selected through the county's housing resource team. The makeup of the building at uh, Brunswick Commons was eight two-bedroom units and the rest were one-bedroom units. And so those two-bedroom units were um, often occupied by families. I don't have the exact number, but I want to say it was at least five of them went to, four or five went to families. I asked Mike if there was a limit to how long someone could live there. It's permanent housing. If I am selected to move into Brunswick Commons, I can live there as long as I want. Assuming my income doesn't go over the limits, uh, in which the, the people that were placed in uh, Brunswick Commons are really people that you know, have limited income, um, a lot of elderly and a lot of disabled folks. So yeah, you're going to live there as long as you want. There have been a couple of hiccups. Back in November, Grass Valley PD made a few arrests related to methamphetamine and fentanyl sales in the building. There's always, I would call them uh, adjustments that have to that the everybody goes through when you you get about 45 strangers and put them into one one building. People uh, not just getting along, but maybe some behaviors that are not acceptable. So um, there has been a couple of instances where the police have been called. Uh, we're working. We the all the the owner, the property manager of the county, the uh, case managers, including Grass Valley PD, are all meeting weekly to go, you know, deal with any issues, the property managers actively, you know, managing the property and, and addressing any violations and lease agreements. All in all, the project is considered successful. People who might otherwise be out in the cold have found a safe place to permanently live and are building a sense of community. I got to tell you, you know, when we, when we look at, at the success of the project, there's 40 units, I'd say 36 of them are very happy <laughs> tenants and loving their environment and would tell you that, you know, there are a couple of units that the property manager is working towards um, addressing um, non-compliance with the lease agreements. But in the end, this is a normal process and we will settle into uh, thoroughly a good, a good mix of people, um, you know, here in the short, short matter of time. The property manager has started weekly community meetings, uh, whether it's a pizza night or a cooking class in the community room, um, just an overall kind of building of the uh, community-ness of the building, because these were all strangers that were kind of plopped in, into a building and have to learn how to live with each other, you know, um, as a community. That's our newscast for this Monday, December 19th. Visit us online at kvmr.org and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and Colfax Farm and Country Store, family owned since 2007, downtown Colfax, daily 9 to 6, Sundays 10 to 2, carrying hay, feed, garden supplies, also North Idaho energy logs and stove pellets. Delivery available colfaxfarmstore.com and the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce presenting the final week of Victorian Christmas. 
this Wednesday and Sunday, downtown Nevada City, offering vendors, artisans, carolers, and traditional festivities, such as Father Christmas and the Walking Christmas Tree. NevadaCityChamber.com The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Tuesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.